Barclay and Barton on the Premier League, brought to you in association with Pitch Publishing, the UK's leading independent sportsbook publisher. Also in association with the Sports Freelance Collective. With Walk Wag Play, a dog walking and training company in Cardiff, doing right by your dog, follow on social media at Walk Wag Play. And also, Tony Park Consulting, helping you and your business grow. Tony Park Consulting at gmail.com. This is Barkley and Barton on the Premier League. I'm Wayne Barton, football writer and author, joined by Paddy Barkley. Paddy, how are you doing? I'm very well indeed, thanks Wayne. And good uh, evening, good afternoon, good middle of the night, good <laughs> mid-morning, wherever it is that you are listening to this. Um, and uh, thank you very, very much for listening. It's been great fun. Um, this is the last one that actually... that we're Wayne and I are doing for this um, series, or when when we're doing it in retrospect, because the next one we do will be 2019-20, which is, of course, a season um, that is just sort of drawing to its rather bizarre close uh, now. So um, that's going to be, that I'm really, really looking forward to. But my word, 2018-2019, Wayne. Certainly at the top of the league, it is extraordinary, unprecedented. Well, you, 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 let us, you tell us what, it, what you think. Yeah, there's certainly, um, yeah, unprecedented is the word, isn't it? I mean, let's start as we normally do by clearing up some housekeeping bits and bobs. I know to anyone who did okay. listen to the last podcast, uh, by the way, we did discuss the tragic accident at the King Power Stadium. But of course, that did happen in the October 2018 which is this yeah. this season not the previous season but we did already talk about that but it's remarkable in, in a tragic sense that um, we, we were talking about sort of um, mm. aero um, yeah. yes. dynamic um, disasters and tragedies and it's remarkable mm. that we opened this this one um, so talking about a similar incident that happened with the Nantes player Emiliano Sala, who was on his way yep. to Cardiff in in January uh, for a record mm. deal, um, Paddy, um, and then mm. you know he's yeah. There's, there's all sorts of stuff that happened. Um, yes, well, I mean, it, it is it is a horrible, horrible coincidence that we talk about this just one episode um, after looking ahead. Um, with great sadness to um, the death in eight, uh, 2018 um, of Vishay uh, Srivadna the um, wonderful owner, Thai owner of Leicester City and namer of the King Power Stadium after, of course, his company. Um, he died as we as we spoke last week at the end of a match which was one all draw um, at the King Power Stadium after a one all draw against West Ham and I can remember the television people were doing you know finishing their um, post match analysis when when the news of this terrible accident happened it's um, worth going back to. Um, also to mention that it wasn't just uh, Vishai who died, His, the two pilots were both killed along with the other two passengers on board. 
So it was a, a tragedy for five people and five families. Um, it was also an a terrible, terrible blow to Leicester City Football Club, um, who in the season uh, were later to change their manager and to finish ninth, uh, despite the inevitable sort of communal trauma um, that uh, the accident caused. Um, Emiliano uh, Sala was a different, um, was a different kind of accident in that. Um, well, there still remain questions to be answered about the um, the flight, but of course, equally uh, about about the legitimacy of the flight and so on. Um, but of course, a tragedy for the player, for his family, and for all those involved in in that accident too. And as you say, uncanny that they should happen within months of each other. Incredible story, the Salah one. Mm. Um, there's a book, um, Fleet Street Hack, Ari Harris mm. wrote, mm. Um, called The Killing of Emiliano Sala, which I, mm. I'm not going to get into, but definitely recommend a read um, for mm. anyone who's, who wants to know more about what happened okay. with him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about the football then. Um, Manchester City are the champions. They are mm. history makers in more than <laughs> one sense of the word. They uh, We discussed the beauty and the grotesque last time. Well, I, I certainly... Mm. Mm. debated one element of it but here they win a domestic treble which has never been done in England before um, nope. that's the FA Cup the League Cup and the Premier League they win the last 14 league games 95 goals in the league in the domestic cups they score 5, 6, 7 and 9 goals um, that includes 6 goals in the final of the FA Cup against Watford Paddy they mm. I mean this is only one part of the story we'll get on to what Liverpool yeah. did but yeah, certainly but you, yeah. you know you said that you said they won their last 14 they had to yeah if they hadn't won all of those 14s they wouldn't 14 games they wouldn't have won the league because Liverpool finished only one point behind City's uh, 98. Liverpool finished second with 97 points. That would usually have won them the league by a mile. Um, uh, Liverpool finished second and lost one league <laughs> match. If they'd drawn that match, which is against Manchester City, they'd be champions. An extraordinary... Um, I mean, we've talked about the, uh, you know, perhaps arguably negative elements of there being a three-two or three-tier Premier League. But my word, when you look at that top tier, it's extraordinary. I'll give you another couple of statistics, if I may. Um, the gap between Liverpool in second and Chelsea in third was 25 points. <laughs> I mean, that is just... I doubt if that's ever happened. Um, uh, certainly in the Premier League era. So it's... Um, Extraordinary. In in even if you take out the the, the Community Shield and, uh, and a couple of other things, City still scored 167 goals in all competitions at an average of mm, give or take three per match hmm. over an entire 10-month season. Um, they um, were beaten. Nevertheless, by um, by Tottenham Hotspur on away goals in the Champions League quarterfinals, um, but uh, gosh, they didn't lose much else. Um, 
it was a, a wonderful team. It was a culmination of, I suppose, what Guardiola had been working to, towards. Um, uh, everything sort of fell into place. Um, there, they were still without, as usual, Vincent Company, Vincent Company, for the captain and inspiration for most of the season. He came back in. Uh, in the last third of the season, just sneaked a title-winning medal, but I'm sure they were the strong one for him. Uh, not least after his um, his goal in the penultimate match uh, against Leicester City, um, uh, which which won the game with time running out. It's an extraordinary goal, which we can either dwell on now or we can dwell on later. But it, it is incredible the way Leicester said, you know, shoot, shoot, shoot. The only people saying not shoot were Vincent's um, teammates, you know, saying don't be silly. And he lets fly and he just catches it right, veers away from poor old Kasper Schnott. Michael, he did not have one earthly. Um, but it was, um, was probably the most spectacular goal City scored in the whole season. Watching uh, as much as I could of the footage of that season, Wayne, one thing that struck me was that there weren't many goals that took the breath away. Their, their efficiency was such, cities, that they would open up the wings, uh, the perfect ball would be delivered in Aguero or somebody, Jesus or somebody would tap in. Uh, I mean, the, they made it look so easy so often. Uh, you mentioned the cup final, 6-0, you know. And... and uh, it, it was uh, it was it was everything that Guardiola had wanted to recreate when he uh, when he came from uh, you know since his days at Barcelona and indeed during his Barcelona uh, times. Um, uh, Riyad Mahrez had come from Leicester uh, and was now fully bedded into the side. Bernardo Silva was the next David Silva. They sort of had roughly the same number of appearances, 24. Now, obviously, they rotated quite a bit. I mean, all through the season, there were frequent uh, midfield appearances from Fernandinho, Gundogan, uh, Bernardo and David Silva, Leroy Sané on one wing, Raheem Sterling on the next, with Mares around. You know, that's just the midfield. Uh, Emmerich Laporte was you know, stiffening the back line considerably. Um, and uh, John Stones, a little more solid than the previous season, uh, alongside him. And then, but, but Vincent Company's presence in those last 10 matches was vital uh, for, the, uh, for the stability and the leadership required to but finally at the end, overtake Liverpool and take the title. Yeah, I think the argue, the argument in City's favour, one of the arguments is, you mm. mentioned a list of players there, Sterling mm. on mm. top of his form, Bernardo Silva, irresistible. Um, mm. Kevin De Bruyne only plays maybe half of the season, but he's, for me, De Bruyne is... Um, oh, gosh, I missed him out. What an idiot. <laughs> well, because he plays 19 games, it's, it's fair to miss him out. But but the, the argument is, Paddy, is that when yeah. those 19 games, he's, he's clearly the best player in the league. And City have got a handful of those anyway, you know, still. Yeah, I think, I, think I, I agree with you. I mean, he's right at the top of his form in this 2018-19 season and indeed in the season that follows, which we'll get on to. Um, but... Uh, it was. It's interesting, actually, that um, 
Raheem Sterling won the Football Writers Award that year. Uh, De Bruyne won neither of them. Well, yeah, as you say, he only played 19 league. Uh, the PFA, the players went for Virgil van Dijk, interestingly, with, and they made Sterling their young player of the year. Um, incidentally, and this, well, this may shock you, but no doubt you'll come on to Manchester United before this episode is out. Um, there's only one player in the PFA's team of the year who's not with Liverpool or Man City. Can you guess who it might be? He's from United. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, who, who'd have believed it? Only a little over a year ago, and Paul Pogba's um, the best. Uh, Paul Pogba, I would have. The yeah. best of the rest. He might the have best been, of the rest. He might have even been down the list of United players. I would have suggested to you. To well, be honest. I, I was. Um, I couldn't believe it when I uh, when I checked it out before doing this episode. Um, but it was it was a great season. Not not just for the. I mean, lest we think that England, the Premier League was a two team league uh, this year. I mean, it has to be borne in mind that both European finals were contested by English clubs. Uh, not only did Tottenham contest the Champions League final with Liverpool, which we'll get on to, um, uh, Chelsea uh, gave Arsenal a bit of a going over in the. Europa League final, a rather bizarre affair in Baku uh, with, with, with um, empty seats um, a, a, a around the, the stadium. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a good season for, for, for English football. It was also, if, if I can just mention uh, a, a general point before we discuss clubs in detail, um, seven clubs had average attendances of over 50,000, which is the first time I'm sure that that had happened in the modern era. They were, were of course, led by Manchester United with an average of 76. Arsenal, who um, um, <laughs> published an average of 60,000, shall we say. But in third place were West Ham, who had, of course, taken over the Olympic Stadium and, and averaged 58,000. Tottenham still at Wembley, 54,000 on average, including one of 82,000 for a derby against Arsenal. Uh, Manchester City, having extended the former city of Manchester, now Etihad Stadium, uh, 54. Liverpool up to 53 with that massive new stand. And uh, Newcastle United, as ever, with their loyal 51, 52,000. So, um, and not surprisingly, the gates, uh, Premier League gates, rose yet again. Manchester City, uh, we talked, one word you said about them, efficient. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous, well, but they were. For me, Paddy, and shouldn't we, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not, and some people might think I'm getting on City as I have mm. done in the last couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. I just think, and and this isn't you know obviously notwithstanding the praise that um, certainly you have afforded um, City in the previous episodes about the quality mm-hmm. of the football, and I'm not mm. disputing that. Mm. Should if this team and the way that we're going to talk about Liverpool in a moment, I think is going to mm. reflect the way that I think we should have been talking about what Manchester City did, because mm. you said efficiency. And mm-hmm. to me, that is a remarkable um, lack of character. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that... Um, well, perhaps I do mean that as a criticism because the way that we're about to talk about Liverpool, mm. 
97 points. You said mm. that they only lost one game, which was against um, City. City yeah, they win true. the European Cup. Mm-hmm. They have got bags of character. Um, mm-hmm. Clearly, one of the one of, if not the best, runners up that we've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in terms of the points. I'm talking about the quality of the team and the way that they yes. play the football. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more about, and perhaps this is an indication for what was to follow. Really, how full of character this Liverpool team are. But mm-hmm. to me, I just think that there's something soulless about the fact that they City have spent all this money, they've scored all these goals, they've accumulated mm. all these points, and we're saying, oh, well, they're efficient. You expect it. Yes, it's a mm. level of brilliance. Ah, uh, uh, yes, but, uh, but uh, see, that I would take an issue with you there because I, when I said they were efficient, I said, and I said that the, the, the goal, you know, a large number of the goals didn't excite me. Um, that was simply because they were so good. Mm. You know, they, they didn't uh, have scuffs. They didn't have... Uh, everything was... They didn't shoot unless they thought they had a good chance. You don't often get a speculative goal from Manchester City because they carve a position from which they are likely to score. They win the ball back high up the pitch so they don't need to play 87 passes, you know. Um no, no, I'm, I'm saying I admire them for efficiency and you don't score 167 goals in a season without character. Um, I do slightly know what you mean, uh, in, in, but no, I think you're being a bit um, unfair on Manchester City. But there again, maybe, maybe the point you make about Liverpool... There's more drama about them. Yeah, well, perhaps. Yeah. I think that's a fair. Yeah, <clears throat> I would. <clears throat> I would substitute that word. Um, I mean, this season uh, that we're talking about alone uh, would would qualify on dramatic grounds for the four three win over Barcelona in the Champions uh, on aggregate four nil on the night against Barcelona in the Champions League. I think that was one of the most dramatic finales to a football match I've ever seen in my life I mean Barcelona do that to other people they don't have it done to them but they, but Anfield the, the drama the dramatic heritage of Anfield was too much for them so yeah to that extent I, I do see what you mean um, the, uh, I, I was talking of course about that fourth goal which was Trent Alexander's uh, can I just talk about that now Absolutely, while we're at it yeah. while it's come up it's it's funny. I've watched that goal a million times and I've often, when people ask about it, I always say it's the best corner kick of all time. Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. He was probably 19 at the time. Was he? 19, something like that. And yet, he took the cleverest cor- and the most accurate corner kick. And Divock Origi, his movement was sensational. He never gets as much credit as he deserves for that. Because if you see it, I mean, it, it's, it's a hell of a shot. Um and a hell of a piece of quick thinking. But watching it today for the hundredth time, I noticed something I'd never noticed before, that it was obviously training ground manoeuvre because and in some eras, Trent Alexander could have got that chalked off for ungentlemanly conduct or what, as it's now called unsporting contact, conduct as in, you know, when you, when you stop, when you're taking a penalty, it's supposed to be unfair to the goalie and all that um, so what, what Trent Alexander does is he places the ball, he then walks away from it, 
and he's 10 yards away from it already, walking up at the touch line. When he suddenly goes back, takes it, and not one Barcelona, maybe one Barcelona, but not one of the Barcelona, they're all still sorting themselves out positionally for the corner. When he takes it, Origi runs in and, and blasts it in the net. So it was, it was clever. It was kind of unsporting in a way. Whether the referee, I mean, uh, you, you wouldn't quibble with the referee, of course. But if you look at it again, it is extraordinary. And, and it just proves that these great moments in football, if you keep looking at them, you'll always find something different, something that you didn't know before. Anyway, I, there may be people listening to this who said, oh, no, we knew that all along. But it was, uh, as I say, it was something that, uh, that uh, I discovered only on watching it for the hundredth time. Liverpool um, get to the final then after that incredible comeback against Barcelona, the way they yeah. come against Spurs, who have qualified for the first Champions League final. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a flat final. The, mm. the game's pretty much killed by an early goal, an early penalty. Uh, very unfortunate. Did you? It was this was against. It was a cross by Mane that had travelled a short distance. Short cross. Short travelled a short distance when it hits Isoko, and most people said because his arm was in an unnatural position. In other words, his arm was raised that, you know, you can't really complain, even though he didn't foul, it wasn't a deliberate handball, but that his arm was in an unnatural position. But if you look at it, once again, if you look at it, and I, I, this wasn't something that I just discovered watching it today, I felt very strongly at the time that his arm was not raised to block. If you look at his finger, it's pointing. He is trying to tell a, a teammate to watch the back stick, or, or something like that. He is watching, he's, he's pointing. Now, why, if you were to raise your arm to stop the ball, you would have a flat palm? Uh, and he has a finger pointed into the air as if he's over his shoulder. He's trying to keep his eye on the ball, but over his shoulder, he's trying to point to some run or, or some position that should be picked up at the, at the free kick. And that, therefore, it was a very harsh penalty. And, and I think on, on review, um, having an amount of time that the officials didn't have then, even though they did have VAR, um, that it was a very, very harsh penalty uh, to ruin a game for. And, and the game was, you know, largely conditioned by it because from then Tottenham had majority possession, majority chances, I think. I haven't looked at the stats, but I remember the game. And... Um, and, and, and lost the game, but uh, lost 2 0. I can't remember who scored the second goal, even. But Erigi, uh, Erigi in the last minute. Of course, it was Erigi, and he scored, he'd scored the first goal in the, in the semi as well. Yeah. So, uh, quite, a, quite a hero of that com uh, campaign, Develka Erigi. But yeah, I, I, felt, uh, I felt, you know, Liverpool were unlucky in the previous. Uh, one, not because the goalkeeper had a bad game, uh, Carriers had a bad game in the previous Champions League final. You know, if one of your players has a bad game, you know, unlucky, uh, you just shouldn't have picked him. But the where I think Liverpool were unlucky was in the injury to Mohamed Salah the year before. So they did, they, they got the bad luck there um, when uh, Sergio Ramos injured Salah. 
um, midway through the first half, but they, they got a bit of that luck back, in my opinion, when Sissoko was awarded that penalty. Yeah, and unlike their 2005 success, so there's no drama like that, um, mm. but this time round, even despite the fact that they finished second in the league, mm. I think it's probably fair to say from this point, Liverpool are the best team in Europe, aren't they? I mean, it's a, yes. it's a, it's a rich qualification, though. Yes, I think they've been the best since that moment, really. Yeah. They've been the number one. They did go on to win the World Championship, I think. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, um, in fact, they, they were the world champions at that time. So I think um, I think they've been the best team in the world ever since, actually, ever yeah. since that moment, ever since that, that uh, you know, Champions League final. The, um, let's talk about the, the, the other cup finals in England then. First of all, just that um, the, the 6-0 uh, in the FA Cup final yeah. so this is what I was talking about with City they, some well, City fans might have marvelled at that some neutrals might have even marvelled it, marvelled at it but for me Paddy and, and it's not just because I'm a United fan I was mm. thoroughly depressed by that that to me was a you know we've seen Chelsea spend a lot of money but we've seen you know when they had mm. Andrei Shevchenko when they had Fernando Torres even even Roman Abramovich had to sort of suck it up a little bit and say you've got to yeah. persevere with these players you can't just turn them over every every season if you don't like them City have yeah. been able to do that and the result is games like this and you know mm. you don't expect them in a cup final although no. in, 19, in 1903 it was uh, it equaled the biggest <laughs> ever which was I think very beat Derby or was it the other way around in 1903 by six goals to nil and I'm sure the Wayne Barton of those days was bemoaning the end of football as we know it <laughs> but no I do I do agree with you I do agree with you bear in mind that we were still basking in the glory of Wigan against Man City and I think you know we were very conscious of that going into the game and thought you know this could be um, you know who's going to be the hero Horello Gomes or, or uh, Troidini or whatever you know it, 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 we were thinking yeah there's a chance here because Watford had, had a very good season hadn't they really um, and so uh, it, it was a bit of a disappointment when this was this great Wembley occasion um, turned out to be yet another city training ground <laughs> you know exercise basically yeah Watford who had a great season they finished 11th in the league but really that mm. could have been 8th 9th or 10th because they were really really good and they didn't deserve what happened to them in, in the final no they didn't no they didn't um, but uh, yeah as you, as you say that's that's Man City for you they're, they're just so good um, Spurs the finalists in the Champions League final you said mm. you felt a little bit sorry for them they had yeah. a remarkable run of their own I mean Champions League final speaks for itself, but by the mm. time they get to the final party, they're having a catastrophic run of um, losses. They're trying to rush Harry Kane back from an injury, which a lot of people say that cost Spurs the final. Yes. Uh, seven games out of the last 12 lost in the league. Um, mm. Yeah, there's that remarkable triumph over City on away mm. goals, but um, it's a mixed one. I've, mm. If you're a Spurs I, I fan, think, are you are you yeah. happy with this season, or is it? An oh, I, I think I think I think they look they look back, and even more than the Man City game, which which was sensational, by the way, after one nil, City actually took, there was something like three two after twenty minutes. 
It was yeah. an amazing game. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, Son uh, scored two absolute buttes for uh, Tottenham before most of the crowd had even sat down. And um, so that was a that was a great great game, and yet it was surpassed by another away goals victory against Ajax in the semis. Uh, what a sensational game that was! Ajax took the lead two nil, and uh, Lucas Lucas Moura uh, came back with a, with a hat trick and, and and including a late winner. I mean, it was a it was a sensational campaign, and yet as you rightly say that the stresses and strains and batterings of fighting on two front did take it out of them and they ended up with 13 in the league um, which you know compared with well the top two lost four five between them five matches between them the top two and yet Tottenham lost 13 in the league and they were fourth only one place um, and only one place uh, away from the top two so it, it was two places. I apologise for my arithmetic there, but um, still a great season because of that. I think probably the defining moment would be that last Lucas Moura goal in Amsterdam, which um, which was incredible because you can imagine how you know how the the Ajax fans felt. You know they got this built this wonderful wonderful new young team as they, as that great club has done so often before um, uh, with De Jong and and, and, uh, and all this this other generation most of which of course will be gone by the beginning of next season but um, uh, th that victory was just so dramatic and uh, um, that, that the, the season will still be remembered happily even though they slipped to fourth in the league Okay, so rule this one then, Paddy. The Chelsea mm -hmm. season was that? A, is that a success? Is it a failure? I mean, yeah, well, I suppose so. If you you win the you win the Europa League, um, it was the last season of uh, Eden Hazard, and he scored the last two of uh, goals. One of them a penalty, and one of them a typically typical piece of neat technique um, in the final in that final in Baku, where they really. They really outclassed Arsenal, I'm afraid. Um, so it was uh, their only seasons, Chelsea's. You ask if it's a good one. They finished third, yeah, but a long way behind. But they won a European trophy under Sari, who um, always seemed to have the circumstances conspiring against him, didn't he? Um, it was, you know, he came with a great reputation for Sari ball, a, a different kind of football. I, I, I'm blowed if I could, if I saw it. Um, but uh, anyway, <laughs> it wasn't his fault. It was probably the the publicity that was to blame for that. But it was, you know, finished third and win a trophy. That's a slight improvement on uh, Antonio Conte's second season. Although, of course, it was no match for his Conte's first. Um, uh, Frank Lampard was to was to take over after Sari because Sari never seemed um, as settled as to be fair the team was. Um, he, you remember the incident with uh, Kepa, the goalkeeper, yeah. who refused to come off, and 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 that was appalling. I think the players should have helped Sari out there by basically saying and get off the field, we're not restarting the game until you do. 
and telling the referee that. I thought his behaviour was disgusting. Um, I, 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 to be quite honest, I don't think he's that good a goalkeeper that you should make special rules for him. I, 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 I thought he was probably one of the Chelsea's weaker players, along with Jorginho over the season. Jorginho, of course, has since emerged as a major force and a beautiful player to watch. But he, he was... Um, a bit of a weakness in the under Sari, everything had to go through him, so you knew who to pick up. Um, uh, and Kante, who normally played in front of the back four, played for some reason off the front, which seemed a bit odd to me. But there we go. Uh, they had very little up front, although Giroud um, proved his worth with a brilliant um, first goal in the header in the in the Europa League final, he didn't earn a, uh, a regular place, nor did Morata, nor did Higuain. You know, three players with very, very big reputations, two of them having played for Real Madrid, um, they didn't really, they weren't Didier Drogba, they weren't Diego Costa. You know, those lads were, those two lads were such a hard pair of acts to follow. Um, and Neither Morata, Giroud, nor uh, nor uh, Iguain were uh, ever threatened to to be in in that class. Well, Chelsea's um, season defined by two strange weeks um, in, in January and February. They lost four nil to Bournemouth in a second half capitulation. Um, they then win five nil against Huddersfield the, the week after or the midweek mm-hmm. after. Then they go on to lose six nil at Man City in the league. And I can remember there was a passage of play towards the end of that game. Yeah. Uh, where City, you said training exercise stuff. But they were just kicking the ball, and Chelsea didn't even bother going in to tackle them. It, it, yes. I can remember watching it went viral. This this sort of thirty second clip of just Chelsea just maybe they downtrodden, maybe they beleaguered, their long confidence, but it's just a characteristic you wouldn't associate with this modern Chelsea side. Um, no. um, absolutely deflated, and that's what I mean about is it a good? Because that obviously the six 0 defeat is a low point because in in the Abramovich era because City. Have done what Chelsea did, mm. but even more obscene in a way. They, yes. they managed to do what Chelsea couldn't do, which is the the turnover of players um, in such a ruthless manner. Really, you know, even Chelsea mm. weren't able to. Like, we, I remember, was it one of the early Chelsea episodes where we talked about their outgoings, and that mm. team was pretty much good enough to get into the Champions League. Um, mm. But that was obviously it was a massive squad overall at the time, whereas mm-hmm. City are almost I wouldn't say every season because by this point Guardiola has narrowed down he's got you mentioned Mares, yeah. he's the the key signing is Mares. But yeah. it took a lot of turnover to get to that point. And mm-hmm. you know that if City like let's say that they're not particularly threatened by financial fair play rules they could do that turnover tomorrow if they wanted and nobody else could could match that they um, can do the turnover because what they can do is they can your, your financial fair play as as i understand it doesn't include uh, uh the payoffs yeah. to get people out the door and you need to be able to get people out the door to bring in um to bring in the good buys at the right time, you know the players like uh, like Gabriel Jesus for twenty eight million or whatever he costs. You know that it, it it just makes life so much easier uh, when 
you can pay up somebody's contract and make it easier for them to get out the door. Yeah. And um, it's it's something I, 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 I'm pretty sure that it doesn't count towards financial fair play and uh, at the risk of making City even more irate than they are with, <laughs> with <laughs> over this issue, I would... Um, I wonder if it maybe should be taken into account. Uh, Chelsea then, um, Europa League winners, against Arsenal. Who, and again, we talk about mixed seasons. Arsenal, they've got life after Arsene Wenger. Careful what you wish for Arsenal fans because yeah, they get you yeah. Emery in. Um, in one respect, getting to a European final is, is up there with the great nights in Arsenal. Well, getting there is an achievement up there with anything that Arsenal managed before. But mm-hmm. in many other respects it's very much the same they're fifth place in the league they've got an end of season stutter um, the style of football I think they probably preferred it under Wenger um, it certainly didn't play any better football than, than what Wenger did um, an era in which and we talked about a growing descent from the terrace but this is an era in which um, there was certain sections of the fans who were very vocal and I've got this very public platform where they um, probably have more influence than what they should have um, mm. I'm not saying you know obviously supporters should be the most influential factor in the game but mm. um, to the fact that it's so hypercritical over every single um, mm. decision made by a club and Arsenal or who for for many many generations were the sort of byword for um, how a club should be run mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. almost become a bit of a joke you, you mentioned the owners but um, mm. it feels like there's a deep rot set in there despite getting to the European final Paddy Yes, well, yeah, that was the getting to the European final. Um, they had uh, they didn't have it as as easy as Chelsea actually getting there. They had to beat Napoli and Valencia along the way. So um, that was an achievement. But uh, yeah, you're right. It, the, by and large, they were all. I don't remember them beating. I don't remember them winning any really hard games at home. You know, they were they they they'd win the games you would expect them to win, but. Um, they were never, uh, you know, they never would have terrified the um, the top um, three, uh, four even. Um, they did actually, I think they did have a, a win in a derby, but I mean, that shouldn't be a highlight of an Arsenal season. And if you go through their team, it's good players, but, but players who really couldn't be mentioned in the same breath as Tony Adams, Thierry Henry, Robert Pires... Um, Freddie Youngberg, let alone Dennis Bergkamp, and you know I could I could go uh, Ashley Cole I could go on forever you know about the the players of of Wenger's first decade, and this is uh, this is what you know the post Wenger area leaves you with um, Lich, people like Lichsteiner who was a good player but at the end of his career Mustafi you know all right. Uh, Socrates, Papa, uh, Socrates, I call him. Um, Centre half, not bad, but nothing sensational. Ditto, Kolasinac. Uh, Gwenduzi might still become a very good holding midfield. I mean, he's good. He's good, but um, he, you know, I would, I would, I think he might develop into something special. But Torreira, Shaka. It will be well. He, he's he's gone now to Everton. Um, uh, Özil by now is beginning to look a bit marginal, um, and it's really only Aubameyang and maybe Lacazette up front who you'd say, well, that's class. Um, 
that's top class. I mean, I mean, I'm not disparaging those players. I'm just saying you can't compare them with Thierry Henry, Ashley Cole, and and, and what's gone before. That's that's what I'm saying. Mm. Um, so yeah, Arsenal really um, are making up the numbers club, and and one that is shopping at uh, to paraphrase and uh, a phrase used before a club that's shopping at <coughs> excuse me. Um, Peter Jones rather than Har- um, Selfridges. Yeah, um, Paddy- if that makes any if that makes any sense to people who don't <laughs> who don't shop in London, I don't know. But it's the best analogy I could come up with. Um, that's Paddy being extremely generous, I think, to to compare this Arsenal team to the um, the best Arsenal sides. Because I'm going to say this is you know when life started turning sour for Wenger at Arsenal, turn, turn the clock back. You don't need to turn the clock back twenty years. You can turn it back ten mm. years. And you look at that team and Diaby, Sanga, Fabregas, yep. Toure, yep. Azri. Do you know yep. it's, a, it's a drop yeah. from that, isn't it? Do you know it's yeah, yep, uh, yeah. I mean, this, we could we could go on uh, uh, as you say, Van Persie. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's uh, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, uh, once again, you'd say to Unai Emery to get to a European final and finish fifth with that team is is uh, is about what you'd expect. You certainly wouldn't expect too much more. Yeah, well, Arsenal fans do, and they'll be getting Emery out very soon. Um, mm. While we're talking mm. about big clubs underperforming, let's get that salt rubbed in. Oh, you're, you're, you're going to get on to Fulham, are you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But as long as you let me get onto Fulham later, because <laughs> it, it is our season in the Premier League. But uh, I, I guess you're going to talk about Man United now. I mean, someone's got to. Yeah, Jose Mourinho decided he was going to burn the house down. Um, oh, good grief! The worst start to a season for 28 years. The numbers yep. were horrific. Um, he has a public falling out with Edward Wood in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. he, he wants centre offs. He wants wingers. He doesn't get them. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer comes in as an interim but talk about how it gets to that point because everyone talks about you know this oh, third season syndrome or whatever with yeah, Mourinho yeah, which yeah. I thought always thought was a bit of a fallacy I think it was unfair yeah. people just created this narrative but Mourinho played up to it and um, mm-hmm. it, I've never seen anything quite like it and I, I say this as someone who not only thought Mourinho would be a good appointment for United I thought he'd be a good appointment back in 2013 so yeah you know. well I think I think you you might be making a good point there because uh, may, sometimes you know slight door, sliding doors moments you know yeah. that timing can be everything um, and I wonder if maybe that move I mean with the benefit of hindsight um, that move should have been made at that time when a, a really big, uh, strong, and credible figure, internationally credible figure, um, was needed to take over from the most successful manager, you know, the top level of English football had seen in living memory, you know. Um, but it, it didn't happen that way, and by the time he came, the, uh, as you say, the, uh, I would. I think most people would have shared your optimism that he would have filled the shoes, um, given that he had a proven record of success in England. I mean, Van Hal had success uh, overseas. Um, uh, David Moyes had success 
at a, a less ambitious level or less demanding levels, should we say. So they both, neither of them were, was a mug. But Mourinho had the kind of success that Manchester United, that he'd won the league, the English league, and he'd won the Champions League. Uh, twice actually the Champions League and, and, and yeah, three times the English League so he he had you know he, he, it wasn't sort of yeah I reckon he'll be okay it was he should be okay and uh, it was but what you got was a different Jose Mourinho uh, Wayne and I'm not sure that, that the old Mar Jose Mourinho will ever come back now yeah. I'm. I'm really. I, but when I say I'm, I, I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying I worry that it won't because he was such a, an asset to the English and world football scene, even when he was being naughty. Um, that uh, that it would be a terrible shame if if he was sort of prematurely, not retired but um, reduced, shall we say, in terms of his powers, the waning of his powers. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it all went very, very sour indeed, and uh, very, very quickly. Uh, um, what position they were? Were they in the lower half when when he went? I can't remember uh, exactly. You might you might have painful memories of it. <laughs> in points terms, they were closer to relegation than they were. A yeah. serious challenge. Well, it was sure. it was the same at Chelsea, if you recall. You know, from two episodes ago, it, it was. Um, and, and I don't know. I I, I I don't know if I was a if I was a Spurs fan, I might be thinking, oh God, yeah. will we get to will we get to the third season? But uh, so that we can have a bit of syndrome. But uh, no, it was um, yeah, it was it was very unfortunate that I remember in the in the the last months of his uh, of his time at United that he was sort of rallying the supporters, going. Sort of over over the heads of the players and the and and, and Edward Wood and 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 praising the fans and so on and that's um, that's always it's never a particularly good look. No, I I will say you know certainly someone who you know supported United all my life and mm. I have no praise for the way that the club are run at all um, mm. I should say that probably get me into a little bit of trouble but um, mm. I, you know it's the way that I feel um, but yep. one thing I would say it's keeping on the football I felt about Mourinho um, and I still even though I've said on this show that I was very disappointed with the way that Louis van Gaal was dismissed and the way that that was conducted yes Mourinho Perhaps that summer, the last summer he was at Chelsea, it all mm -hmm. felt a little bit Wizard of Oz, where yeah. before before the sort of cloak gets revealed, he's got this aura about him that's fearful and you're scared of him. Then the cloak mm -hmm. gets pulled back and mm -hmm. you've got this petty little man engaging mm -hmm. in squabbles mm -hmm. that are beneath him and, um, and, yep. and do nothing but undermine his status. Um I don't make him look good, and that's why it ended that's up right. like at Chelsea, and I never and at United never got off the ground at United. He pretty much he, well, yeah. he was engaged in that from um, from day one with Woodward. Yeah. But the, the weird thing for me, Paddy, was that he was given mm. a three-year contract at the start of the calendar year, which yeah. says. I mean, you can criticise Mourinho all you want, but that says United have got no forward planning. Most of yes. they don't know what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. I think uh, you know. Also, even even the. Um, after he left, you know, this business of uh, 
before the Solskjaer bounce had, had worn off, giving him a three-year contract. I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. Uh, there was absolutely, even uh, certainly not publicly, even Solskjaer wasn't asking for that. It wasn't as if Real Madrid and Barcelona were hovering to try to take him away. Even Mould, I don't think, wanted to take him. You know, well, it was just, uh, it was just a bizarre, bizarre turn of events. And of course, the predictable happened. Those of us, unlike Ed, who, who, who've sort of studied football at close quarters for many, many decades, um, it always happens like that. You know, uh, you give them the contract, and the players ease off. And anyway, uh, it's all turned out uh, for the best, um, I think, I hope, and I pray, because uh, I, I like Solskjaer. And um, I like his attitude. It, it's very Manchester United. And uh, so I hope he succeeds. And, 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 and the signs certainly are that uh, uh, Woodward and he will be, may well be proved right in the, in the long Long run. Yeah, happy, prudent accident, I would say. Um, but yeah, let's yes, talk yes. about um, a couple of coaches who certainly emerged from the season with a lot of um, praise and a lot of stock. Brendan Rodgers, he left Liverpool under a cloud. He'd become something of a caricature, which was a very unfair because of the way that mm. he proved Liverpool. And probably up until this point, up until Jurgen Klopp came in, certainly. Mm. Rodgers as Liverpool might have been the best most yeah. attractive Liverpool in the league yep definitely so, without shadow of doubt yeah um, so yeah I don't think I, I was never really particularly subscribed to that cloud um, that, that, that he left on but he did you know every you know Roy Hodgson especially even Benitez you know you know, didn't measure up, you know, perceived not to have measured up. But um, I think, I don't think Rogers was was uh, demeaned to, to that extent ever, and quite rightly so. But yes, he felt he had to prove himself. I mean, Steve Gerrard, Stephen Gerrard may prove me wrong, but a pretty reliable way of... Uh, of uh, rebooting your reputation is to go to one or other of the old firm, yeah. and uh, and and that and Rogers just picked up that classic remedy that's been used by Strachan, O'Neill, many a manager over the over the years. Yeah, and he did and came back came back from Celtic with his reputation restored. Yeah, um, did great jobs at Leicester and. Um in a funny way, you know, when when the bigger jobs are going again, you know, I think he was yeah. pr pretty much he was getting linked with them as soon as the summer after that because I think even Arsenal fans were sort of like, ah, oh, I think mm. we should have took a chance on this guy rather than the one that we did, and yes, I think I I would not be surprised if even a few Man United fans are thinking. Mm. You know, and I know he's turning out, like we said, all right for Ollie at the moment. But I think a few of them would have been quite happy to have taken a chance on Rogers. Because on Rogers, yes, I'm, I mean that's it's true. He, he did um, steady the ship at Leicester. Um, Claude Puel was 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 in charge um, at the time of the accident. Yeah, and 
you know, um, everything seemed to be going quite well. He's, you know, you talk about redeeming reputations. Although, in my opinion, Puel did very well. At, at, did well at Southampton. He, there was still a bit of a mm, not sure about him, and um, he seemed to be doing well enough at Leicester. They had a victory over, I think it was Chelsea, and um, what was it? Did they beat Man City? I think they did. Yeah. Um, yes, they did. They did beat Man City. And anyway, as soon as they had that great victory, um, they went into a spin, taking only one point from six matches. Um, and uh, uh, and Puel was sacked. Um, uh, they'd slipped from seventh to twelfth during that terrible run. And, uh, and that was when Brendan Rodgers took over. And coincidentally um, almost as soon as Rodgers had taken over uh, maybe the team was tweaked I mean Puel's not as attacking minded as Rodgers not as constructive minded and of course uh, this was perfect for Vardy the service improved Vardy started scoring goals and they rose to ninth a creditable ninth at the end of the season but if you're talking and, and, and it's a good point you make about Rodgers that he's, his stock is still as high as when he came back from Scotland. And But if you are talking about who's the manager that might just get a top four job on the grounds of his league, does that not lead us on to Wolves? Because we cannot talk yeah, about, about uh, the 2018-19 season without lavishing praise on Wolves. Uh, and uh, manager Nuno Espirito Santo. I mean, both he and Rogers would be in the frame for if 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 a current Premier League manager was was wanted for a top job, wouldn't they? Yeah, I was going to say, or should we say, Wolverhampton of Portugal, as is the case. Yes, exactly. I mean, I mean, you talk about wanderers. Well, I mean, half of Europe wandered into <laughs> Molyneux after they'd uh, got promotion in Nuno Espirito Santo's first season. Now, it has to be said that the ownership model at Wolves is controversial. Um, they are perceived to be run by Pedro, or influenced greatly by Pedro Mendes. The, George the, Mendes. George Mendes, I think. Uh, Pedro. Pedro, Pedro Mendes has scored a goal that never was. But uh, George Mendes, of course. George Mendes, who is the agent of Jose Mourinho, and, and scored a goal that Roy Carroll dragged out of the net. No, he uh, is a uh, you know, super agent, uh, a very sort of glamorous uh, character. And, uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Jose Mourinho, you know, he had... Um, a, a stable of stars and, and he has become involved in this Wolverhampton project at the start after getting up they brought in virtually a, an entire team I mean let me just go through some of the names of the people who came in at the start of this 2018-19 season well um, uh, Jimenez the, uh, arguably the most important player that, that came in Raul Jimenez uh, wonderful centre forward in my opinion um, Willie Bolly mm -hmm. terrific centre back uh, in a, especially in a three which is what they use uh, Jota uh, Vinagre uh, jo uh, João Moutinho you know at, at one time one of the best 
you know, scheming midfield players, you know, up there with Modric as one of the best in the world. Um, Adama Traore, who's, you know, they've got the best out of him at, at, at last um, at Wolves. Johnny, Dendonka, Rui Patricio, the goalie. Um, uh, Ruben Neves, I think, was already there. But, I mean, that's virtually a whole team that, that's come in using uh, George Mendes's contacts. Now, as I say, it's a controversial ownership model. It's his only a personal opinion. I can't see anything wrong with it. Nothing at all. I think it, it, it's proved itself at Liverpool, at, at Wolverhampton. And uh, I don't have any reservations about it as long as it's all done above board and nobody's denying anything. And, um, and uh, they've been a credit to the Premier League since they came back up. Yeah. What do you reckon? Do you have a problem with the ownership model? No, I, I did find it a little bit bizarre, but you know the fact that there's so many Portuguese players going in. But it is what mm-hmm. it is, and every I think as long as they're not breaking the the financial fair play rules, it, it was the same as Watford really, but done with much more success. You know, the Watford with the Udinese, yes, 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 yes. Um, But we all thought at the time, and we'll talk about Watford in a moment. Uh, well, not sorry, we have done about Watford and and the way that they've done well. Yeah. But yeah. Wolves, more than Watford, played very attractive football. And this is the influence of Santo, isn't it? Um, yeah, Santo, definitely. Wins over Chelsea, over Spurs, over United, over Arsenal. And as we've said in earlier episodes about some teams who do this, they they deserve those wins. They look mm. like the better team in those games. So mm. seventh place for them is richly deserved. And yeah. you, you, I... Honestly, I was thinking at the time they are a side who could kick on if they've got the. Obviously, they've got players who want to stay there. You know, you mentioned yeah. Moutinho, you mentioned Neves. Yeah. These are great yeah. players. They're mm. willing to stay in Wolverhampton. So, who knows where it might lead? And obviously, they're still punching the weight um, mm. in, in the Premier mm. League. So, um, and I'd, yeah, to be honest, a breath of fresh air. I, you know, mm. I, I mm. always um, had a fondness for Wolves in the 90s, back in the Steve Bull era. Um, mm. But Molyneux, a famous old ground. The old gold is always attractive to look at as well. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's, it's good to have a team like that. It was such a strong tradition in, in British football history to see them in the top division. Yeah, um, proper football town. Yeah. Proper football town. Do you like Elgar's music? <laughs> Do you? No, yeah. it's not that. It's not as daft the question as it sounds. I'm not. I'm not changing the subject. Do you like Elgar's music? Sure, sure. Well, Elgar was a fan of Wolves. There you go. He's got good That's... taste. <laughs> it's a bit better than um, what well, it's simply read. I mean, yeah. It, I think. I think Elgar's a cut above him. Good though he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me, Cookville's not listening to this. Uh, sorry if you are. I'm very, very sorry. I didn't mean it. I meant different. <laughs> um, other managers. Um, you know, obviously, Wolves staying uh, faithful to Nuno Santo through their um, yeah. promotion and everything. Everton, I, this is one thing I never really got under um, Sam Allardyce's last few jobs. It seems like he does a really good job. And it's mm. thanks, Sam, but. We're going to move on to the flag of the month. Um, I know. And they do that with Marco Silva, who did a decent job at Hull. Um, yeah. To be fair, I mean, look, they finished eighth, but uh, <laughs> it's a good, definitely a good season for them. But um, They've put a bit more money in, though. I mean, you can, 
that you can tell that uh, Moshiri's calm and, and, and uh, uh, alongside Bill Ken right and there's a little bit more financial clout um, it, you know expressed in, in signings good signings like uh, Richarlison who's really made a good impact uh, and is still doing so Gilfie Sigurdsson um, they got 13 each out of Everton's 54 league goals in this season we're talking about um, uh, Lucas Dean if, uh, you know a guy who's played for Barcelona at left back um, um, Theo Walcott to give a bit of pace and probably up there with all of those oh Bernard of course Brazilian winner uh, Andre Gomez you know what a beautiful player what a beautiful player. He's at the club now. So if you look at all that, plus Seamus Coleman's still there, Pickford's in goal, you know, they should finish eighth. You know, uh, I don't think Marco Silva should be awarded a, a yeah. medal for getting them into eighth position. They, they should be in the top half of the league with that squad, in my opinion. And a little bit unfair then on Big Sam because, I mean, he suffers yeah. by reputation that he's this, um, well, what a relegation survival expert, but... Um, whenever he's had that chance at a big club, he never seems to go very long. Um, and he said, I don't think he deserved the boot from Everton, to be honest, but um, they nope. wanted to take that next step. And we haven't seen um, Big Sam in, in football since, well, in, in, a, in a managerial job. I'm sure he'll get another one. But um, well, I think when he wants to, he will. Yeah. Um, but uh, although, you know... Let's hope Kerb, the Alan Kerbishley syndrome doesn't happen to him. That that's that's one that nobody's ever been able to explain to me after his managerial record, how he suddenly you know stopped getting jobs. But uh, you know I I'm, I'm sure that won't happen to Sam. Um, it it, it uh, you know his record really uh, would appear to qualify him for. For a good job, yeah. Whenever um, he's ready, he's probably enjoying a little bit of a relaxation, even as we speak. <laughs> Sam relaxing, um, <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, some records set this season, Paddy. Um, not mm. least in the relegation. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it? I'm sorry, but yeah, let's let's pick right. another field first. Yeah, and I can I can then give full. Vent to my spleen on uh, on Fulham, uh, Huddersfield. Yes, um, uh, Wagner, David Wagner, kept them up in the previous season. We discussed twenty seven eighteen, um, and and was rightly given a lot of credit for that. Um, but um, he went in mid season after they'd had only two wins in the first half of the season, um, and. Would you believe it? Results got worse. They only got one win in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, at least, you know, under Wagner, they'd managed wins over Fulham and Wolves, believe it or not. And they later completed the double over Wolves. How amazing. <laughs> um, they were knocked out in the very first match in the Carabao Cup, the EFL Cup. And they were also knocked out in their first match in the FA Cup. They scored 22 goals in their 38 league matches. So there's just nothing you can say. Aaron Moy went down with them. But of course, um, the market made sure that, that he, probably the classiest player, 
at the club came back. Um, now, only one place above them uh, were my favourite English club, um, my local club, and the club for which I have a season ticket, and I refer, of course, to Fulham. And we, I'll, I shall use the we, uh, it's terrible, really. When I was a journalist, I would, I would have shot myself for doing that. But now that I'm an ex-journalist, I can be biased. And um, Fulham uh, finished second bottom because Huddersfield were so poor, but really we were rubbish that season. What we did was fix something that wasn't broken. We got promotion in, in the playoff spots, um, with a team that was a progressive footballing team under Slavisa Djokanovic. It played football. It was never going to take the Premier League by storm. Uh, we were a little bit short of quality in, a, in several positions, but at least uh, Slavisa Djokanovic's team had uh, a style which presumably, had he been allowed, uh, able to stay, um, he could have strengthened in the normal way. But instead, the other staff members, backed by the man who runs the club, the son of the owner, Tony Khan, uh, they knew better. They were subscribed to this sort of money ball um, uh, uh, principle. And, and don't get me wrong, other clubs, not least uh, Fulham's neighbours, Brentford, have done very well out of using the money ball uh, the statistical-based uh, model very, very well. We did it very, very badly in the summer of 2018, buying a load of rubbish and spending huge amounts of money on it. Uh, I think we must have spent something like 150 million. Uh, and some of the players we got for that money, I'll list them, Zambo Anguissa, Jean-Michel Seri, uh, oh, a guy called Vieto, I think he was free, but even at that, he was overpriced. <laughs> and, um, and uh, well, well, you'll have heard of André Schurla, um, uh, but the trouble with Schurla, he did score about half a dozen goals, but he wasn't really the type you'd want when you're under the cosh, you know? He... he didn't have a lot of determination about him, which presumably is why Chelsea let him go. Could score a goal, he could shoot. Um, it wasn't as bad as some of the others, but uh, really it was uh, it was terrible. Uh, there was a guy called Maxime Le Marchand still at the club. Um, they paid a lot for him, and uh, you know he's a decent player, but he wasn't. Joe Bryant was another a. a a good player at championship level, but not not the kind of person you would get to, well, we already had Joe Bryan, but not Le Marchand. He wasn't the kind of guy you'd buy to change you from a championship side into a Premier League side. He was a good player, but no more. So you've we just basically threw away 150 million. And consequently, we then... Our, our style of play was, was different. We had Claudio Ranieri, who was the long ball counter-attacker to Jamie Vardy. That was his preferred style. Whereas Slavisa Jovanovic liked to play through the likes of Tom Kearney, passing game. 
Tom, Tom Kearney, Kevin McDonald, players like that. Um, so we just were betwixt and between and our, our best player, although he did Mitro, uh, Mitro, Mitro, I call him, but his name is Alexander Mitrovic. But he's, uh, you know, he's terrific. You know, he scored 11 goals in, in this poor side, outclassed side, to be quite honest. Um, which was greatly to his credit, but uh, we didn't have much else. And we, we were really, it was just Huddersfield that kept us off the bottom of the league and uh, finished second bottom. Got uh, changed manager yet again uh, towards the end of the season in a desperate attempt to miss relegation. Uh, Ranieri went um, uh, uh, unmourned, not as a bloke, but uh, for his football style, by, by, by the fans. And in came ex-player Scott Parker, who uh, has since turned Fulham back into the footballing Fulham that, um, that the fans liked and were very happy with. And that's great. And we now have the Kevin McDonald and Tom Kearney style of football back, and we're very happy with that. So, um, but it was too late to say. He got, Scott got three successive wins in April, which raised a bit of hope, but nah, not really. We knew we were going down, and, and uh, sure enough, those wins came too late. Um, yeah, it's, it was a difficult one for Fulham, but they, um, he said all that money was spent, and then really the, the two bright spots for me, uh, you mentioned Mitrovic, but there's Ryan Sessegnon, very highly rated, clever left-sided player, who perhaps didn't make the impression on the Premier League that he was tipped to. But um, I, no, I didn't. I mentioned the young players only because Fulham set a record this season. Yeah, Harvey Elliott becomes the youngest ever Premier League player. Ah, to, uh, now with now with Liverpool, he got nicked. He was only sixteen years and a few weeks, I think. You, thirty you days. Thirty days. days yeah. yeah, and uh, um, uh, yes, Harvey Elliott. Um, well, I saw him play for Liverpool on the telly um, in, when they chucked their youth team in for some cup ties um, during the season that is yet to finish. And uh, I must say that you could mistake him for a young Lionel Messi. Um, so, you know, he, your film of, uh, uh, sorry, Liverpool obviously knew what they were doing. We were also deprived of another academy product when Ryan Sessegnon went to Tottenham. But, and, and he'll always be loved at Fulham because he's a Fulham fan, came through the academy like Harvey Elliott and, uh, and like his brother, Stefan Sessegnon, who's in the current squad. But um, it, 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 it's, I don't, I think we've, everybody felt that Sessegnon had um, sort of, it was, it was right for him to move on to Tottenham where he is now and um, you know Fulham didn't get the kind of fee at one time they were talking about 50 million but uh, Ryan um, he see I, I'll never forget he's the first home league game I can't remember who it was against it was against Crystal Palace Juan Bissaka was the man of the match it was sensational and uh Ryan tried to run someone. It might have been Juan Bissaka. Big mistake. Big mistake. I mean, and I think, I may be wrong, but I got the impression that this was probably the first time in his life that this phenomenal talent called Ryan Sessegnon had ever found himself second best. 
<laughs> and I think he struggled with that um, at the rest of the season. That confidence that he could do anything he liked. And he was not an arrogant person. Uh, don't get me don't get me wrong. But the, the confidence that he had in his own play, that uh, of always being the best player on every field, went. And he, uh, he never really played well in 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 our one season. He never played outstandingly in our one Premier League season. Yeah. So um, uh, it was probably everybody sort of wished him well, and he'd always get a good welcome back to the cottage. I think. Um, because he was respected for being a genuine supporter of the club he was always the last player off the pitch even when we got really battered in the Premier League he'd be the last player off the pitch thanking the fans for their support Fulham down on April 2nd but um, Uddersfield um, take the record March, was it March? March the 30th, (laughs) the earliest team ever to go down which is uh, even beating Derby which is some going um, Cardiff relegated much later under Neil Warnock but um, not very I mean they needed goals from Emiliano Salah who sadly wasn't there to provide them but yeah. um, not very good Cardiff side and <laughs> you know they, they're down pretty early as well aren't they it wasn't I mean in terms of you know great escapes because you look at Brighton you look at Burnley you look at Southampton mm-hmm. Bournemouth they're all pretty much safe I didn't you know what I mean mm. the three teams we talked about in, in recent episodes you know teams making a great escape but this is mm. just one of those seasons where you've got three teams who are distinctly yep. the worst in the division I I, I, I think you've summed it up there yeah. they um, they just weren't good enough uh, any of them and um, and sure enough yeah although Cardiff did finish third from the bottom they were definitely not in the same class as um as let's say Bournemouth, who once again, I think we mentioned this two episodes ago, that, that their matches contain more goals than anybody. And and, and sure enough, um, although most of the, a slight majority of the goals were let in by them, their games contain just as many goals as cities or Liverpool. So, uh, you know, again, the lucky uh, 12,000 who had season tickets to the Vitality Stadium uh, they got, they always got their money's worth, and and sure enough, yeah, you mentioned, you know, Bournemouth uh, with a, having a four 0 win against was it Chelsea? You yeah, mentioned, yeah, yeah. and um, but yeah, they had they had a couple of batterings, but they handed out a couple of batterings. So once again, Eddie House Bournemouth were a credit to the Premier League in 2018-19. Yeah, um, a couple of the other clubs, obviously we've mentioned them in earlier episodes, but a little note for Southampton because we're talking about record setting. Shane mm. Long, 7.69 seconds uh, on the 23rd. Quickest goal, record, yeah. Quickest ever Premier League goal. So we've got a few records setting this season. Um, yes. Brighton do well to stay up as well. Burnley as well, not as impressive as they did before, but they, they're they definitely benefiting from their stable setup there. We need to talk yes. about two teams um, before we finish. First of all, Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson. Um, they're away day specialists. I knew that they did well last season, but I had a look yep. at this and they win at City. They've got the yep. hat-trick of wins at three pro, uh, former Premier League champions. Man City, yep. obviously, um, renowned uh, remembered for that goal from Andros Townsend the incredible volley fantastic volley, um, yeah. and they win at Leicester and at Arsenal as well and in, in Wilfred Zaha a player who um, has definitely recovered from that troubled switch to United and 
mm. really is covered by. I mean, any team in the league would be happy to have Wilfred Zaha now. Yeah, I mean that that win over City was at it was away from home. But the other two that you mentioned, Leicester, and they were away from home as well, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. If it's it's a strange thing with uh, Roy Hodgson's Palace, they're almost they're almost invariably in a position of comfort. Um, and 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 even in the 2019-20 season, you know, they've, they've got a chance of finishing uh, in the top half, which is terrific, really. Um, and um, but if if they if they could sort out the home form, um, they'd they'd always be in the top half. They they just seem to be they're so well organised that they always do well away. But it's not just a case of digging in because. Uh, Wilfred Saha, week in, week out. You know, he's got a lot of de- detractors, but his his footwork is so quick, and he's so and and his feet are so quick, and his uh, movement is so quick that a lot of times that when he's accused of diving, um, he is actually fouled. You know, and um, his life does seem to be one long frustration. But he scores and makes enough goals. Um, to uh, to justify his presence, and I, I would always, you know, if uh, if you were going to a Palace match and somebody said, "Oh, Wilf Zaha's failed a fitness test," you'd go, "Oh, yeah, it's not going to be as much fun as I thought it was." So uh, yeah, he's he's certainly. Um, I I wondered just you know because you, he spent time at Manchester United and 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 it was recognised that that had not been a success. Um, do you think one day that he might uh, find top level football somewhere? Um, uh, you know, champ- might get back in the Champions League. Let's assume that Palace don't get into the Champions League. Do you think he might get it on his own accord? Possibly. I mean, the talk before that, I think it was probably before this season, um, that we're talking about he wanted to move to Spurs because Spurs were interested in signing him. Yeah. And I yeah. think he put in a transfer request. So and I think, you know, I think he'd go into the first team at Spurs and do very well mm-hmm. there. Um, mm. I don't know if there's any doubt about that. But we should say then that that's of immense credit to Roy Hodgson to sort of stave off that interest and say, do you know what, no. It's enough in this Premier League to survive, but mm. he's doing more than that. He's saying, no, I want to entertain the fans who turn up yeah. on Saturday. And what, what an uh, incredible thing to say about a manager who could retire tomorrow. Yes, and and have a lot of credibility about his more than enough credibility about his career, but to still have that um, dedication to the football public of a team who aren't well, like, like, unless they do a Leicester, they're not gonna they they might win a trophy, but they're likely mm. to you know like you said as to, you as you say you, you, the, the the main priority is to stay to be in that season that league next season yeah. It's the main priority, yeah. But he, so the dedication he's still, to, he, he's still as keen. He, he yeah. still prepares for every game as if it was the Champions League final. Mm. And he, yeah, like I said, to, to want to entertain the Sellers Park crowd is, um, you know, it, it's just brilliant to see. And he, he said, no, it might not be very good for Wilfred Zaha, but they've got Zaha and Townsend, two very exciting players. Yes. Um, so it's great. It's great that Palace have got that. Um, but, oh God, talk about teams with ambition and drama. Newcastle mm. United, they can they can be the team that we finish on today because 
you know, Rafa Benitez. We talked about the power struggle that he has on Tyneside mm. and the fact that he's a popular, or he was a popular manager there, and they've got mm. obviously very unpopular owners. For a start, uh, for a while at the start of the season, Paddy, seven defeats, three draws from the first ten games. It looks doomed. Yes. But um, probably they, because they can't dismiss him because of how popular he is, he gets a bit longer than they would normally give someone <laughs> to the chagrin of the Newcastle board he turns it around I think that's part of his success you know that um, I think we mentioned a few episodes ago the importance of a manager forming a relationship with the crowd now Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool because mm-hmm. it's so very important in terms of your power because if the, if the crowd aren't going to blame uh, the manager then the players know that they have to perform, you know, and it's uh, it, 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 it's 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 a really good aspect of management. And Klopp did it in a in a very different way by by basically the uh, charm offensive would be wrong, but he just simply placed his personality in front of them, and they went, "Oh my God, we just love this guy. We'd we'd run through brick walls. Never mind the players for him." and uh, Benitez, in, in a very different uh, and less overt way, um, has succeeded in doing the same thing at, at Newcastle. I think there was a feeling when he went there that, you know, this is one of, well, this is a world-class manager and he's come to us. And I think they respected him for that. And they always backed him in his uh, tensions with the ownership, understandable tension, and, and understandable that they should back him. And um, I think that's been a great strength to him. He's never, you know, when uh, teams lose a few points, and uh, the natural thing is to say the manager's not whipping the players into shape. Mm. And then the players have got an excuse. And there's, if there's one thing that players, well, they like almost as much as they like money is an excuse. They love an excuse. And the, the, the fact that the, that the media and the fans were ne- are never going to turn on Benitez, particularly the fans, um, is a great motivation tool for the players. And he's just played, played that game. Uh, and I don't mean to sound cynical about that, but he's that aspect of, of management he's been outstanding and that's why at times when you look at Newcastle squad and you say that's the worst in the league in the division or it's definitely one of them the, the three worst in, in in the division they always somehow manage to dig in and put enough results together to uh, to stay out of trouble now in this season 2018 19 you'll have to tell me the exact position but i would think 14th was it in the league, they finished 13th. 13th, right. So, it, I, once again, it was enough. Now, I, I, I doubt if there were seven squads worse than Newcastle's in that season, but, but they dug in and they got enough results and they would get, they'd go on a bad run and then they'd go on a good run, you know, and that's just, just did enough to, to stay out of trouble. So, um, it remains to be seen what the future is for Newcastle. <laughs> it does indeed, but the, the point you mentioned about 
um, galvanising the players, especially mm. a, a relatively weak squad, never more apparent than in the game against City in late January when City scored in the first minute. And mm. obviously for many teams that would be curtains, they'd just not bother playing for the other 89. Um, but yeah. New, Newcastle turned it around and won 2-1. That was the second of five home wins in about eight games which really sort of turned their season around um, yeah. really strong ends of the season uh, relatively speaking of course um, yeah. but obviously um, yeah, like I said remains to be seen what yeah. will happen at Newcastle um, so we ended the show last time out by saying any team wanting to beat Manchester City would have to put in a record breaking effort to land the title one team did do that but it didn't happen. Liverpool, <laughs> obviously, surely not able to repeat such heroics, or were they? 